0: This is the Bless You Boys podcast. Bless You Boys is the home for the best, the worst, the indifferent, and everything else in between in Tigers baseball on the SB Nation platform. Um, I'm your host, Brandon Day. I'm a staff writer and editor at Bless You Boys, and with me tonight is Rob Rojacki, our managing editor. How's it going?
1: Not too bad. Ready to go.
0: All right. So, like, the Tigers didn't really do much besides signing uh, Alexi Amarista and adding another kind of utility player candidate into the mix, but um, we did get a bunch of prospect lists out this week, and kind of figured we'd dive right into that i mean kind of the the first thing that stood out sort of was um baseball prospectus kind of having um daz cameron and who is it was it jake rogers or isaac Paredes above uh above matt manning and, and kind of dropping him down to sixth um did, does that does any of this mean much to you um you know is this the kind of thing that that makes you wonder how he's doing or anything like that or
1: no i'm definitely not worried about it i mean i was uh we had come out and published a post right after that saying like you know it's way too early to really worry about him um the the biggest reason the baseball press that prospectus had dropped it down was because they had seen a couple outings of his in i think it was like july or so where he was down kind of in the 80s with velocity um and that type of thing is going to happen um i kind of went back and found the actual reports that they had filed and their top prospect guy uh is based in new york or around that area and so he's been to some of the you know new york Penn league stops quite a bit Um, And so Manning, I mean, I was kind of following along because he was tweeting about it all along saying like, you know, he was excited to see Manning for obvious reasons um, and then was a little bit disappointed when he had come out of that. And so they're kind of basing a lot of it on those couple outings without, I don't necessarily want to say following up because it's so hard to, you know, keep track of every single start of every single player in this industry. Um, But they, you know, I think that those outings definitely heavily skewed things when, you know, there were clearly, I think, some improvement from him down the stretch, especially as he moved up to West Michigan and he, you know, really kind of found his form after those first few starts. So definitely nothing to worry about yet. Um, obviously, Manning's you know a very very high risk prospect, especially for even for like someone coming out of high school because he's hardly played baseball at all. and He's still kind of getting the basics down. Um, but this is a guy who you know can reach back for ninety seven miles an hour with little effort, uh, and that type of arm just doesn't come along very often.
0: Yeah, yeah, and then, I mean you kind of pair that with you know just the length and extension, you know the plane he can get from being you know six six. Um, yeah I mean kind of the, the raw the raw ability there is is still really impressive and you know you know I was kind of following on on Twitter and listened to the last you know few games he pitched for the white caps this season into the postseason, and uh, it sounded like he'd really put it all together' cause, you know the you know the reports that were filed earlier in the year just didn't match up at all you know to the guy we were seeing late in the year like the curveball looked really pretty sharp um he was just dusting people with the fastball left and right um i mean i yeah thing- i mean and even just like in
1: In a vacuum, it doesn't make sense. Like, how would a guy who's throwing 85 miles an hour of the fastball, who doesn't have polished secondary stuff, be able to go out and strike out 10, you know, single A hitters in an outing? I mean, they're still in single A, but those guys can time 80, 85 like it's nothing. Obviously, when you get up to 95, they have trouble, but, you know, that kind of tells you exactly what was happening there.
0: Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Just just the whole process of trying to evaluate, you know, you know, like you say, especially a guy who who doesn't really have the experience. A lot of other prospects come with. Like so many of these guys are, are used to kind of pitching showcases, even when they're in in high school. You know, there's kind of an awareness of when the scouts are in the stands and when you when you need to show out and this kind of thing. And I, it just you know it just feels like you know that none of that has anything to do with you know with Matt Manning's progress at this point and you know yeah you, you know you might see a might see a starter two still even in, even this year where he's wild or the mechanics are off and stuff but when you see kind of kind of the seat ce- you know the ceiling starting to starting to form um when he's really going good um it, it's still you know pretty plainly obvious why the tigers took him where they did um full disclosure i just got off the phone with matt manning actually and was, and was talking to him um, and he had a couple of interesting things to say um we'll have a post up you know should be tomorrow on that um but you know he was he was he was basically saying the same thing that he's he's really like dead set on on throwing strikes and and kind of perfecting his mechanics and that was a lot of what was going on in July was was him just kind of trying to dial all that in um, and that he's also you know they've also kind of had him working on changing speeds and, and trying to pitch with less than his his full fastball, but um, yeah, he was, you know, he was kind of chuckling that, you know, he knows he can reach back for 97 whenever he wants to, but that's kind of, you know, not, that's throwing and not pitching. And he was, he was definitely talking about, you know, really wanting to focus on becoming a pitcher. so Yeah, I mean,
1: they kind of get to mold this guy from the ground up. I mean, you get basically like your perfect specimen in terms of like a physical guy that you want to be a starter. I mean, he's got the same build as, you know, basically a Justin Berlander. Uh, and you get to kind of build that guy up from the ground up, and it'll be interesting to see A, how well the Tigers are able to do that, and B, kind of what the finished product ends up being. You know, if he does pan out, I mean, this is a guy who has that type of ceiling. He can be a true number one starter. He has the highest ceiling, I think, of any arm in this in this farm system, um, he's just you know so far away from that right now that he's just such a high risk, high risk as a pros as a prospect. And I don't blame baseball prospectus at all for dropping him down that low. Um, you obviously have to go on what you see as an evaluator. Um, they just kind of you know it seems like they saw some of the wrong stuff. Um, you know, and and it could also just been fatigue at that point too. I mean, this is first full season of pro ball, um, or his first season of professional ball, not even a full season yet. Um, we're probably going to see starts like that next year, especially if he goes in, you know, right at the start of April to West Michigan. So there's going to be a lot of bumps along the road, but hopefully he comes out of it in the end, uh, you know, in the, in the Tigers rotation
0: yeah for sure yeah and I mean I don't really think there's anything particularly to worry about Matt that you know that wasn't there you know from the beginning just just the rawness but it it is kind of an interesting case just because it it kind of illustrates just how hard it is um you know to cover prospects you know effectively and and to see these guys enough to really to really get a good you know a good grasp um you know I, I kind of mentioned to him that you know I think it was baseball perspectives kind of mentioned that they'd seen him kind of throw a fastball with with cut action on it and um you know, from his perspective, that was just a bad fastball. You know, it was just a fastball that, you know, just he just didn't have his mechanics sharp. You know, re, you know, didn't release it out in front or something, and it, and it just kind of backed up on him. Um, and if you see that a few times, you know, it, it's just really easy in one viewing or two viewings to mistake that for for something that you know the Tigers are trying to work on. Um, it just, you know, I just thought the whole the whole kind of little arc there was was sort of instructive about how hard it is to cover prospects. Um, the other thing interesting he met the thing that he mentioned was that um I guess Jorge Cordova um the pitching coach for the White Caps last year showed him a split change up and they kind of moved him away from a circle change and he just felt way better with that um and was getting a lot of lot more down action um and as long as he keeps his arm speed up he's you know he's got such huge extension that that pitch should play pretty well so that was kind of an interesting tidbit he threw in there as well
1: yeah you have to be interested in seeing how that affects like his elbow apparently like a split change can be a little bit more strenuous on that um, but if they're able to, you know, keep him healthy, that's definitely a great pitch for him to develop. He needs that third pitch right now, along with the fastball. And what's he throwing? Kind of like a spike curveball, yeah, right I think now. it's still a spike, something like that. Like that. Um, we'll, we'll see, see what, what that ha- what happens with that going forward. Um, sounds like that pitch isn't always, um, you know, not a lot of people are teaching it. But hey, if it works for him, you know, who's who's to change it really?
0: Yeah, it's interesting because yeah, I know Keith Law was kind of you know of ESPN was kind of on about the the spike you know curveball grip last year um, in a couple articles. But um, you know, then again, you know you look at guys like Corey Knabel, um That you know, there's I think Lance McCullers as well throws like a really hard you know spike curveball. You know, like in the mid in the mid 80s, and that yeah, one that we saw how
1: edible. many we saw what how many times in a row during the playoffs?
0: No, it was like 20 <laughs> 25 or something, and they still couldn't do anything with it. So. Yeah, it's funny, you know, like, these trends can kind of happen where, you know, I've, I've been kind of reading, you know, that the sinker has kind of been getting hit more around the league over the past year or two as, as all these kind of guys are trying to, you know, take a little bit more of an uppercut swing at it. And, um, you know, maybe that switches things back to the point where it's, you know, the, the high fastball and the, the curveball is is more the dominant combination than the sinker mm-hmm. sinker splitter or sinker slider. But, yeah, it's just interesting kind of the way those trends kind of work. Um, obviously, for a pitcher, they've just kind of got to take what works best for them and and kind of roll with it. Um, is there anything else um, on that baseball prospectus list that kind of stood out to you um, or Keith Law's list actually? Um, you know, he, he had Daz Cameron ranked in the top 100, which wh- I yeah, think that's kind of that's surprises kind of the big,
1: a That's kind of the big takeaway there is to see Cameron in the top 100 of that list. Um, it'll be interesting to see where he lands on baseball prospectuses. I don't think he'll be in the top 100 there, but he may be kind of on the outside looking in for that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's just great to see uh, him kind of getting some love, too. Um, you know, I took a look back at some of his numbers uh, last year, and he was just a monster towards the end of last season. And in the second half... Uh, at single A ball um you know it really kind of reversed all of the concerns that people had about him heading into the 2017 season um you know obviously he doesn't have quite the tools that his dad did uh, especially not the power and the speed but he still could be you know a plus defender with you know some solid speed on the bases uh, it sounds like he has great instincts which you kind of expect from a son of a major leaguer um and then you know if the hit tool and some of the power can come around and he can kind of be you know you, you have almost kind of a you know a five tool player on your hands. I mean, he started to pull the ball and hit the ball in the air a little bit more, and that's a huge step for him. He may not hit a lot, in, uh, you know, in terms of average at the MLB level, but if he can kind of be that guy who, you know, hits some home runs, draws some walks, and plays plus defense in the outfield, like almost kind of like a BJ Upton type when he was good. Uh, I mean, that's yeah. a hugely valuable player.
0: Yeah, or maybe maybe even you know a little bit little bit Austin Jackson like with maybe a little more patience, but maybe a little bit a little bit less speed. Out there. Yeah, I'd say maybe a little bit less speed, a little bit more power
1: there. I mean, you know, almost kind of a poor version of Mike Cameron, uh, if you yeah. want to call it that too. So,
0: <laughs> yep, I would take that. That would that would be great. But you know, sure. that, like we've been kind of lamenting the fact that you know the Tigers have all these all these pitchers. We're not lamenting that part, but that there haven't been so many um, position players. So it's been nice to see you know just just some of the love that's kind of come uh, Des Cameron's way. And Isaac Paredes as well. um, I was going to say, I expected
1: Paredes to get more of the love because, you know, he's an 18-year-old who held his own in single-A ball last year. That's not an easy feat. You don't always see that a lot. The last Tigers prospect to do that was Willie Damas, who ends up at, what, like number 20 or around there on some of these lists, like 15, 20th in all of baseball. Um, you know, obviously the Tigers did what they had to do when they traded him, and you can't expect him to kind of really take this leap that he has since leaving. But if you can turn Paredes into a guy like that, or Glibertorius, who uh, he was also compared to in the Cub system, uh, I'd certainly take one of those guys.
0: Yep, yep, that'd be uh, that'd be perfect, especially because you know we, we haven't really haven't really brought along a middle infielder in a really really long time. So yeah, uh, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll all be. I'll be looking for him. Um, yeah, you know, I'm interested to see um, Fangrass list come out, too, just because, you know, they've got Kylie McDaniel back in there who has been working in the mm-hmm. Braves organization, um, and I know Eric Longenhagen pays pays pretty good attention to the Tigers system as well. So, Yeah, really and those guys see, those see guys. a
1: lot of stuff. I mean, they, you know, I know Langenhagen is based in Arizona. Um, you know, that's kind of been another thing, interesting thing about following some of these lists, too, is kind of knowing where some of these guys are based and being able to kind of pick and decipher which events they're seeing. Um, is always kind of an interesting component to this too. This is really kind of the first chance we've had to really pick apart some of these like prospect lists because the Tigers haven't really had prospects since prospect lists became a thing yeah. about ten years ago. Um, and so it's kind of interesting to be on this side of it and you know figure out where they're getting their reports from and you know what events they're seeing and stuff. Um, but anyways, getting back to them, yeah, I'd be interested to see what Long and Hagen has to say about some of these guys. Um, I can't really think of anyone off the top of my head that was in that Arizona Fall League that he might have seen that would really, you know, be appear high up on these lists. But you know, I think he's seen uh, a couple of these guys before, um, especially some of the guys that might have been traded to uh, Detroit last year. Um, I'm trying to think if there are any affiliates out that way that he might have seen a little bit more of, but uh, they've certainly kind of. I don't want to necessarily want to say they have their own opinions of some of this. I mean, they've been, they haven't been too far off of some of the rest of baseball. But they're, some of the reports are just so detailed. Uh, I think that I'm really interested to hear what they have to say, especially with both Long and Hang and McDaniel there now.
0: Yeah, and kind of what you know, whatever you know, Kylie McDaniel can kind of take away from working in in you know a pretty progressive system that was you know and still is really really good, and uh, he's seen a lot of really good young talent. So. He's, got He's seen some. a lot of
1: good young talent. He apparently has connections all over the game. Uh, I think the quote that came out when when Dave Cameron hired a new prospect analyst after McDaniel, I think his quote was something like, if we wanted someone with as many connections as Kylie has in the game, we'd have to hire an actual MLB general general manager, <laughs> uh, you know, just to kind of indicate how plugged in this guy is. Um, and so it, I always like it when they're able to kind of pick from their own independent sources. Uh, you, we've heard some from some other outlets hearing a lot from like team sources in particular, and they, those guys kind of a, have a little bit of an agenda um, when it comes to promoting their own prospects and whatnot. But if you can get independent reports and independent sources, that's obviously kind of the way to go.
0: Yeah, for sure, and yeah, they've always done a really good job as far as like being really detailed in, in their analysis, and and yeah, they're definitely well connected and, and know a lot of scouts. You know, something else we were kind of talking about on the site is just the fact that you know a lot of a lot of teams have kind of cut their scouting departments, and there's there's kind of a lot of scouts. It seems like veteran scouts floating around out there, and I know the Tigers have have signed some of those guys, um, including some international scouts, and and tried to add um, and bulk up the scouting department there, and it, it and it just kind of goes to you know, just trying to trying to draw in as many opinions and as many eyes as possible because yeah, you just never know. Based on based on any one opinion, anyway, um, everyone mm-hmm. seems to love Franklin Perez. I mean, um, Franklin Perez just seems to be you know pretty pretty solidly just outside you know or just inside the top fifty somewhere around there, um, mm-hmm. and he's only I think what nineteen still so.
1: Uh yeah nineteen maybe just turning twenty right now. um I'm trying to think exactly how old he was last year, anyways, he's very young for the level uh sounds like he's very close to being a finished product too. There's not a lot of development there left. I think that uh Mark Anderson um from Tigstown and a bunch of other places has said that it's really kind of all about refinement and polish for him, and so we should you know almost undoubtedly see him at some point in twenty nineteen probably um, yeah. you know maybe not twenty eighteen and he's probably not going to start. Start the year in the majors in 2019, but he is almost certainly to be up at some point. Uh, so we should get a good glimpse of him relatively soon.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to think of who who was in the Arizona Fall League, and I think like the only guys I can really think of as far as pitchers, especially, are, are Spencer Turnbull and I think Adam Ravenel was out there. Um,
1: yeah, I'd be kind of interested to see what they have to say about Turnbull, but you know, given FanGraphs' predilection for only you know ranking 15 to 20 guys or so, Turnbull may not even be mentioned there.
0: Yeah, he's kind of in a weird situation because he just isn't, you know, he just hasn't pitched that much, you know. It, like it kind of feels like he's, you know, fairly close to his his projection as far as like what what he's physically ca- going to be capable of doing. Um he's already what mm-hmm. 24 or 25, but yeah, he's just got to yeah. just kind of stay on the field. I kind of have him as a sleeper to actually show up and, and maybe get himself a, a cup of coffee sometime this year possibly as well. So
1: He feels like a guy they should really just move to the bullpen. I mean, this is a guy who yeah, obviously there's you know a lot of potential there as a starter. This is a guy who can carry 97, 98 into the later innings, but some of the secondary stuff isn't quite there. Uh, and you wonder if you kind of just let him out, air it out in the bullpen, how high up he can get. Does he hit 97, 98? Does he get up to 100 with the secondary pitch? Um, you know that could be a real weapon if he adds a bit of stuff uh, heading to the bullpen and kind of can kind of develop that slider that he's always been. It's fairly known for too.
0: Yeah, it's always been yeah at least at least graded you know average if not you know flash and plus here and there. So yeah, yeah, you know I could see that. You know he and um, Sandy Baez are both guys I could kind of see that way, but Turnbull especially because he's older um, and and he kind of has had some. It it seems like consistent shoulder. Shoulder issues over the past couple years, so yeah, we'll have to see if maybe maybe they take that under advisement. But I,
1: yeah, I mean, I almost wonder if they would be a little bit slower to do that with Turnbull because Baez was added to the forty man roster what a year or two ago or something like that. Yeah, they had a Turnbull. Yeah. Turnbull, I think, was just added, and so they still have a couple years to play with with him because um, it sounds like if you give him another year in the rotation, especially like this year, if he's not coming up to the majors and he's not going to be used in you know high leverage situations in terms of like the team actually being in a playoff race you almost you know are better off kind of giving him more starts as a starter down in the in the minors and then you know flipping into the bullpen another year or two i just think that he's going to eventually end up there but i think there's no harm in keeping him as a starter right now
0: yeah, it kind of allows him to go out there and, and and kind of pitch consistently. You know, know what he's doing every five days, and and you know, and kind of get into a groove. Hopefully, um, yeah, it's just a question of health. But yeah, they've got time with him. Whereas, yeah, Sandy Baez, it kind of feels like, you know, the fastball is huge, the splitter is good, but the command is still, still kind of an issue. So yeah, we'll just have to see if uh, if they decide to move him in a different direction this year. Um, you know, overall, um, I mean, I think what I'm thinking is just that. Compared, obviously, we we didn't have the prospects that we have now, but it's interesting to see the different takes on, on who is top 100. And it really feels like you know you could you could basically take four starting pitchers, Daz Cameron and Isaac Paredes, and even you know Chris um, and Stewart was on I think Keith Law's list right at the very bottom of the top 100 um, even last year. So that it just kind of shows the the depth. Like yeah, we don't have any um, top 30. You know like oh this guy's an absolute blue chipper type type pitcher or or position player just yet. But the depth thumb is, you know, even in that kind of mid tier is really pretty good now.
1: It feels like they have maybe three or four that could go in the top 100, and then like another four on top of that that would go from 100 to 150.
0: Yeah, even Jake like it Rogers, feels like kinda, a lot yeah. of those
1: guys are kind of sitting in that range, and I know that John Sickles, uh minor league ball, does a top two hundred every year. I think um, I'm really interested to see where some of our guys land at that. I mean, you could have as many as you know if you include Stewart too, you can get up to like eight guys, nine guys, maybe in like that top two, one fifty to two hundred.
0: Yeah, yeah. Even Dowell Lugo is kind of getting you know a little more love from some, from some at least that then I kind of thought. You know, he's kind of showed up, um, you know, around round ten for some some observers so
1: he was up to seven on Tigstown, i think yeah
0: they were really a, high uh, on him yeah
1: they're really high on him which is nice to see um they're kind of the ones leading the charge saying that the transition to second base is going pretty well for him which is nice to see sounds like he's you know the range is a little bit of an issue um and probably will be especially as he kind of bulks up a little bit as he gets older yeah um but the hands and the throwing arm obviously plays there. I mean, he can play anywhere on the infield. And so at second base, he's going to have no problem getting the ball over to, th- over to first. Uh, but it sounds like his hands and his footwork around the bag have been pretty good, too. I mean, this is kind of a guy who was, you know, still kind of hacking it as a shortstop, uh, even getting into last year. Um, so, you know, if he can handle second base capably as a defender, uh, maybe develops a little bit more power. I don't think that the plate discipline is going to develop quite too much, but if he can at least, um, you know, kind of be a little bit more selective and drive the ball a bit more, I mean, that's a, you know, a solid guy to have. Maybe not, you know, a hugely valuable player, but someone who can at least carry their own weight for a couple of years uh, and then, you know, maybe develop into kind of that lower division starter on number six and number seven, uh, Jonathan Scope type.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's a pretty good comp. I mean, yeah, from what I you know from what I've read, you know, he makes pretty good contact. Like he hits the ball, you know, pretty consistently mm. hard. So, you know, a lot of it's on the ground. Um, you know, there's obviously adjustments to be made. But yeah, if he can um, if he can start driving the ball up the gaps and hitting a few more out of, out of the park, um, sometimes the walks just come. You know, just just by virtue of of pitchers, you know, learning to back off you a little bit. So
1: and that's kind of the difference between him and like a Jonathan Scope type is that Scope is hitting for a lot of power in game, and Lugo might have some of that raw. Rob- power, but he's hits the ball on the ground so much that it really kind of mitigates that some.
0: Yeah. Yep. And, you know, he's, he's kind of got a stiff, you know, lower half. I've, you know, I know uh, Emily Walden, our buddy over at The Athletic, and a few other people have kind of mentioned um, that, that that's something that they're trying to work on. With getting a little bit more leverage out of his legs, so yeah, there's there's at least there's um there's a raw product to work there that's that's still you know pretty valuable and maybe maybe a little better than people thought um you know when the JD Martinez trade went down obviously we weren't none of us were super super stoked on that trade um, I'm not really sure what you could have gotten for JD Martinez that would have made anybody happy to see JD Martinez traded and, and gone but um, no
1: certainly not I mean I would have liked to see if they could have picked up. Uh, Anthony Banda, a lefty who was their top prospect at the time, yeah, um, who too. ended up coming up later in the year. But it sounds like he they just weren't going to be able to pull him. And so getting a guy like Lugo, you know, if he turns into something at the major league level, if he's a starter for a couple of years, that's a you know a pretty solid return on that. And then you have two other guys in Alcantara and uh, Jose King down there who could eventually turn into something too.
0: Yeah, both of them, you know, very athletic. Like Alcantara, maybe a little bit too too undersized to ever ever really hit much, but um, you know, really gets you know rave reviews for his glove. And he really
1: sounds like a he sounds like a carbon copy of Dixon Machado. He really does.
0: Yeah, like a switch hitting Dixon Machado. Which you know Uh you can have one of those guys on a on a playoff team down the road, and uh and, and that's a pretty valuable guy to have. So. So yeah, it's just really a question of like hitting these next these next two drafts. I mean, um, we've we've talked about this enough on the site, but you know that that's really for everything that's gone on over the past year. Um, you know, the draft this year is is really job number mm-hmm. one. So yeah, and I did see Alavila's comments today that they were already kind of getting ready to convene on uh, on like sort of early assessments of who they want to take number one. So they're yeah. they're definitely on that, and obviously they realize how important it is.
1: Yeah, and they want to make sure too that they're getting a good deal out of it, um, unless someone. Really, kind of establishes themselves as a clear one-one pick. Um, you almost kind of want to kind of shop around a little bit. Like the last couple of years, you've seen teams look for the right deal. Um, I think that the, when the Twins took, what was his name Royce Lewis last year. Yeah, people was kind, was kind of assumed too. that he had taken a little bit of a below-market deal, uh, so that they can spread the bonus pool bonus pool money around elsewhere. Um, that I think that if there's no real clear cut number one, the Tigers should definitely look to do that. Whether it's taking you know a position player or a pitcher, it doesn't really matter. If you can get a solid guy at number one, who you know maybe he's a number three or number four guy on everyone's board, but if he signs for below slot money and then you can use that money elsewhere to pick up another Sam McMillan or some other high schooler who is looking to go to college but can be swayed by you know a few hundred thousand dollars, then you obviously got to explore that too.
0: Yeah. Obviously the Astros have done that. I mean, I, you know, they, they took Carlos Correa, who I think was projected to go like fifth or sixth and, um, signed him under slot. And I believe they got Lance McCullers as a result of that as well in the second round. And my God, that's a haul. Yeah.
1: That's, that's, that's worked out. <laughs> that's the dream. A little bit. Yeah. Really? Not too bad.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're looking at Lance McCullers, uh, strikeout rates last year, like, you know, some, somebody mentioned to me that he he should be a Cy Young candidate this, this year. And, you know, he's had too many kind of injury concerns to really pitch uh-huh. the innings but um, i didn't realize his, what his strikeout to walk ratio looked like and it's it's insane
1: <laughs> what is he is what is he he's either their fifth starter
0: I, yeah i mean i guess he kind of is their fifth <laughs> their fifth starter or their swing maybe like, he's their fourth i don't know maybe maybe their
1: fourth like who else is in the rotation obviously you have verlander you have Keuchel, you have garrett cole you have him you have charlie morton you know brad peacock is going to come out of the bullpen and Come out of nowhere with a ridiculous strikeout again. I don't understand how that happened. Um they probably have like two other guys I'm forgetting about too. That's a Colin deep. McHugh, yeah. Yeah, Colin McHugh. <laughs> like jeez. Like he'd That's be our number two team.
0: starter, you know, if, if you he would.
1: Over.
0: Yeah, it's it's just a wealth of riches over there and uh, everybody's raving about Forrest Whitley as well, so they're they're pretty loaded for bear. Still got mm-hmm. Paulino and Martez. Ugh.
1: Yeah. Whitley does kind of sting a little bit. Um, This is a guy who was drafted the same year as Matt Manning, uh, and it's already kind of coming up through the system looking like an absolute monster. Uh, And so, you know, obviously you don't necessarily want to, you know, I'm not writing Manning off yet, but, you know, having Forrest But he was always going to take a
0: long time. Yeah, He was was always
1: going to take a long time. But having Whitley right there would uh, would be kind of nice. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I'd like to have Forrest Whitley. Absolutely. Despite being a big Matt Manning fan. So all right, well, you know, we'll um you know we're gonna be putting out um at Bless You Boys our prospect list, um, sometime in early February and we'll be covering the prospects um, you know, extensively all year. Like this you know, this is a huge push in, in terms of the coverage now, mainly because it's the most interesting part yeah, of the time. I was gonna say, like, this is
1: the part we wanna talk about the most. <laughs> yeah, this is what so. we're most into.
0: But um for the time being, yeah, we'll we'll leave it there. I wanted to ask you um about the piece you wrote about um the MLBPA, um, the players' union, and Rob Manfred regarding the pitch mm-hmm. clock, because um, Manfred obviously is pushing very hard to put the pitch clock in play this year. They had it in the yeah. minors last year, mm-hmm. and it sounds like you know Tony Clark is is at least trying to hold a line there. Um, mm-hmm. You want to go into that and, and yeah, just kind of kind of break down what you were talking about in that.
1: Yeah, well, I'm not sure exactly how this is kind of playing out because, you know, Rob Manfred has said like he's going to implement a pitch clock. And apparently there's something in the CBA that allows him to basically make a rule if he's given the MLBPA a year's worth of advance. Uh, and they had talked about this last year. And so it sounds like, you know, he has given them that year year's notice uh, and he can kind of just come in and say like, OK, we're doing a pitch clock now. Um, whether the MLBPA likes it or not. Now, obviously, they've come out against it, um, but I argue that they should be doing that because they've kind of lost so much ground in other areas over the last, uh, you know, couple rounds of negotiations, and especially in terms of like, um, you know, free agent compensation and basically the amount of revenue that they're getting uh, in the game because that's kind of fallen off considerably over the last several years. Um, and so, you know, obviously they're still making money hand over fist, but I mean, you know, the owners are making Scrooge McDuck levels of <laughs> money right now. I mean, they're literally like swimming in their piles of gold coins. And no one uh, wants
0: to sign free any big free agents. And no one wants <laughs> to sign any
1: big free agents. So between, you know, teams getting smarter and realizing how inefficient free agency is, um, as well as the, kind of the influx of money in the game, that has really kind of left a lot of people upset. Um, both the players and it sounds like the players had kind of argued, especially in this last round of CBA negotiations, that it was almost like more quality of life stuff that they were after, like, you know, extra off days and, you know, a chef in the clubhouse and things that sound stupid to us. But like, if you're doing that every single day, um, you know, they're, they're important things. And especially like if you're doing that every single day and still making $15 million a year, like what's that extra few million compared to, you know, having, you know just a better quality of life over the six seven eight months that you're working
0: yeah and you're, you know you're i think it can be easy to, for people to forget that you know players aren't in the army you know like half the time they're you know some of them at least are very wealthy people living in you know nice places and then when they're on the road all of a sudden you're traveling with the team and you guys are all packed together and on a very strict schedule um so yeah you know you know a- asking for a few things to sort of Kind of make that easier on them, or you know, make their quality of life better while while kind of going through some of those long road trips and stuff like that. All makes sense. It's just that kind of while they were getting those things, the you know the I don't know. Basically, you know, it just felt like the owners were kind of going out the back door with uh, with with the loot as far as um, getting you know the sal- the salary tax you uh-huh. know, the, yeah threshold you know kind of yeah, changed and, I think the, and that's part of it too is that, that
1: threshold, the threshold the tax rates and threshold have become a little more severe and so you have all these big money teams trying to get underneath it and i had argued before that you know the teams like the yankees and the dodgers don't necessarily need a lot of help and so that they haven't signed any free agents this winter isn't damning them in that regard so much as it is like, you know, they could, okay, they could sign another fifth starter, but they could also save themselves a lot of money by getting underneath the tax threshold, as well as, you know, eliminating the penalties that come with like draft pick compensation and some of these other things that are, you know, more important, I think, than the actual money itself. Um, And so, you know, it's, it's tough to see, like, especially like a team like the giants in particular, I'm thinking of that. They're trying to get underneath the tax threshold, um, and stay under that. one, they could really use another piece, they could really stand to go out and get another starter, whether whether it's Darvish or someone a little bit lower down the pole, like Lance Lynn or Alex Cobb. They really need a starter, yeah. um, but they're not going out and doing it because of this tax threshold. And I think it's ultimately hurting players more than it is helping increase parity across the game.
0: Yeah, it just it 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 does kind of feel like it's resulted in more more have and have not than than actually kind of. You know, kind of brought the, the two sides together. Um, some of that, though, you know, I, again, you know, I think people have to just look at it honestly and say, you know, teams are just getting smarter. And even the teams that, you know, are, are not spending very much money, they're doing that for reasons. Um, you know, the Astros just kind of showed what, what can happen if you just don't invest in your team at all for a few years, collect all the top draft picks that you can, and then you start spending and you've got like the, the whole pump primed, to use a Donald Trump coined expression. <laughs> But uh, you know you've got all this stockpile of prospects, and then you you know you you can start spending if you want to. You can make the deals that you want, and it, it just feels like there isn't that much incentive to be a team that's that's sort of a 500 team that maybe has a shot. You know, the Giants are kind of a unique case because they're you know they're getting older, and this is kind of their last gap, So spending some yeah. money, you, you can kind of see that. But they still need an outfielder as well um, as a as a pitcher. You know, they got Austin Jackson, but they apparently don't really want to start him as their center fielder. Which still leaves Lorenzo Cain out there just staring him in the face, as far as I can tell.
1: Yeah, I'm interested to see what the Giants do. They have a prospect named Steven Duggar right now, who is kind of their center fielder of the future. They're hoping um, this is a guy with with what sounds like a plus glove. Uh, the bat maybe not, may, might not quite be there, um, and it could be a platoon situation between him and Jack. Jackson in center because he's left-handed um it could be that they want to leave him down in the miters i've been reading a lot of great brisbee lately because he's brilliant (laughs) Uh, so this is how i know this is how i know all this um and so the, you know it's interesting to see you know that i think the giants are playing it right with jackson and kind of using him more as like a super fourth outfielder as brisbee has said um because in particular you have a couple of older guys in the corners and a couple of guys in the corners who are going to be playing new positions in those corners um and so between that and wanting to keep them healthy, um, I think Brisby also referenced that the last couple of times they've been to the, the world series, it has been, you know, very much on the back of one of those good fourth outfielders, uh, Gregor Blanco in particular, I think he's referencing. Uh, and so having a guy like that in Jackson is, you know, hugely important. Um, obviously they still need a starter because their rotation is Bumgarner, uh, Coedo, um, maybe just Marja and then who knows. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they're an interesting one to follow. And, you know, you, you kind of talk about this whole like middle class of baseball that is mostly evaporated. And it almost kind of has me wondering, like, what would have happened as a Tiger's head – Kept on if the Tigers have held on to Ian Kinsler earlier this off season, and then gone out and spent on you know a couple outfielders, maybe like a Curtis Granderson type, or Austin Jackson or Gerard Dyson who's still out there, and just kind of filled a couple of those holes. You know you still sign like Mike Fires or someone to shore up the rotation. Maybe you spend a little bit more on like Alex Cobb or something. Yeah, and they kind of try to sneak into the playoffs that way. I mean, obviously, a lot has to go right there. I mean, with that, you can maybe bump their projection up. Like, if with a couple of additions, you can maybe bump their projection up to somewhere in the seventy-five to eighty win range. And so that's obviously not great. But if you look at some of these projections right now, I mean, that still puts them in like the top half of baseball. Yeah, because there are so many p- teams that are just kind of trying to tank. Right now, and they're uh,
0: playing a, in a division you know that has a couple of those teams. You know, obviously the White Sox and, and the Royals are in similar shape as the Tigers. So yeah, if they had made you know kind of some of those small moves, you know, and then you get you know maybe Daniel Norris or, or Matt Boyd kind of figures it out and has a solid year as a starter. Mm-hmm. Miggy Miggy's healthy. You just never know. You know, you might have a chance to sneak in. So yeah, it is kind of interesting the way yeah, things I mean, are played out.
1: I'm looking at Fangrass right now, and there are only 12 teams projected for a winning record this year. And obviously, projections are, you know, very conservative, but and you have another few teams that are kind of right around the 500 mark, but only 12 teams projected to go 500, whereas you have probably just as many that are projected to win about 75 games. If not fewer. Um, And so, you know, if you could kind of sneak into that area there and just, you know, do something, maybe you get a little bit lucky, then you get in the playoffs and then who knows what happens. Uh, Obviously, it's a long shot, but with what little they got in return for Kinsler, it almost kind of, you know, it does kind of make me wonder, like, what would have happened if they had done something like that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, it would have made the
1: season fun at least. I know
0: that's it. You know, it's, it's always hard to tell if there's any real, <laughs> there's any real reason to do that or if it would just be, you know, a, a lot more entertaining to watch rather than kind of having the fans come out to, to watch. Yeah. What, what looks like a team that might be okay in the first half, but is probably going to keep trading players and very likely kind of stumble down the finish the way they did this year. So,
1: yeah, I mean, and that's fine, but like at the same time, like you're kind of giving it a go. I think people would feel a lot better about the team. You'd probably get more people at the ballpark, certainly more people at like Tigers Fest this weekend because of that. Um, and, you know, maybe you sneak in, maybe you still end up in the same place. You know, it sounds like the worst case scenario for that would be like, you end up with the number five pick instead of the number three pick in next year's draft. Um, you know, because with that, you're not giving up big prospects. I mean, maybe you could have gone out and topped the deal that landed Andrew McCutcheon in in uh san francisco or something like that but even with some low cost free agent upgrades especially with the way this market has played out um this could be just a little bit more competitive of a team that hasn't uh, impacted the team's ability to rebuild at all i mean yeah you have a couple outfielders you could sneak in there for some playing time but i don't think that gerber and stewart are really going to be affected too much if they go another year in the minors without seeing much major league action
0: yeah and as we've seen, you know, you you almost always need a, a few guys to come up and fill in at some points anyway. So it it still wouldn't be, you know, too onerous to get them a cup of coffee somewhere. And you know, I, Ashley and I talked about this on one of the first episodes. Just that it is kind of funny to look at the Tigers' farm system right now and think what players we could we could actually trade for. Um, you know, there is enough depth there to get get a piece that that could help you um, down the stretch. Should the Tigers get to you know July and kind of be still kind of hanging around in there? So yeah, it, it's just kind of interesting. Just just a hypothetical, and maybe it's just our just our way of kind of squirming out of (laughs) having to kind of focus on the fact that the the team is not going to be good. It's it's going to be a bit of a rough go. So,
1: yeah, I mean, they're hey, they're still projected to finish third in the the division right now.
0: So I'd I'd be stoked just just to put down the rules. You know, I know everybody wants the number one pick and all that, but you know, we've got the number one pick this year. As long as we're picking relatively high the next couple years, I don't I don't really think that's something we need to be. We don't need to actually like desperately tank i don't think to uh to turn this thing around assuming the uh, tigers know what they're doing and get a little lucky
1: i mean i'll take another number one pick but if they're you know if they do want to compete and make this season a little bit more fun i'm fine with that too there's really not a lot for them to do right now i mean you can you can come out and compete a little bit you can come out and tank the season if you want um but a lot of it falls down to can they develop the prospects in the system right now can they add to that in this draft can they supplement that with you know a solid trade or two when the time comes um they just need to be able to develop these guys more than anything
0: yeah and and just to whether or not they can get you know a little bit more or hopefully a good deal more out of the guys that are already you know on the team and are still young and still have you know some unfulfilled potential. You know there's still Castellanos, there's still Boyd and Norris. Um, we still need to kind of see what happens when Fulmer comes back. And you know the Tigers have quite a few good relief arms um, that we saw last year, and they didn't really do all that well. But um, you look at Zach Reiniger, Hyrule Abort, um, Joe Jimenez. You know all of them are flawed. They all have all have typical young reliever issues, but they all also have you know excellent stuff. And you know those will be guys that we can also watch this year, kind um, kind of to give us at least a little bit of taste, maybe of what the future uh, the future Tigers roster will look like when this is all hopefully turned back around. And um, all right, we're gonna switch it over um, before we wrap it up. And I've got I've got a couple um, questions off of Twitter, um, so I'll, I'll shoot a couple of these your way. Um, Robert Schroeder at Mr Schroeds with two Z's asks um, he has a question about pitching prospects and wants to know normally at what age does a pitcher's fastball peak? Um, for example, can a 22 year old still improve on the speed of his fastball? want to take that one.
1: <laughs> um, off the top of my head, I want to say it's around 25 is where, you know, fastball velocity peaks. And from 22 to 25, I don't think you're going to develop too much. It kind of depends on the player. Um, you know, if they're still kind of adding to their frame a little bit, they can, uh, but in particular, like our 20 to 22-year-olds in the system, Bo Burrows, uh, Franklin Perez, and Alex Fayeto. I think all three of them are probably pretty close to maxed out in terms of fastball velocity. Um, maybe we'll see what happens with Fajardo if he cleans up his mechanics a little bit. Uh, but those other two are pretty much finished in terms of like physical development, and it's more about refinement them at this point and so we probably won't see them add too much um you could see manning even maybe adding a little bit as he gets older or at least getting to a point where it's a little bit more consistent from him uh obviously he can reach back for that 97 and you know um but if he's able to kind of refine his mechanics and make it a little bit easier to get to that point uh you know that's certainly kind of what they want
0: yeah. And he's still, you know, he's still, I think, you know, 6'6", 210 pounds. So that that's a guy you look at his frame and there, there's still there's still muscle that can be added there without, um, you know, kind of bulking him up and, and kind of hurting his flexibility and all that. And it, yeah, it, it comes down to the frame. And sometimes you do see someone, you know, change a little something with their mechanics and gain a mile per hour or two, even beyond age 25. You know, Charlie Morton this year pretty much said he just went out there and tried to throw harder like he just hadn't hadn't really ever focused on it and bam you know he adds he adds a mile an hour or two but um yeah it seems like by the time you're 22 you're you're roughly where you're gonna be and there's maybe you know another mile per hour or two in there at best you know you're probably not gonna you know suddenly go from throwing 91 to 98 99 um but you never know There, there are always exceptions to these things um the next question was um, Should any of the Tigers starters this year pitch more than 175 innings? And that comes from Ed Miller at Ed Miller 19. It's basically, you know, should the Tigers basically shut everybody down at, at some point, assuming they even get to the point where they have a bunch of guys who can throw 175 innings?
1: Yeah, I don't know if anyone should be throwing 175 innings this year. Um, in part because I mean the minor league season isn't long enough for a lot of pitchers to get up to that point. I think 150 to 160 is really kind of the max, and that's if you're coming out and throwing quite a bit. Um, you know, if you're talking about if we're talking about major league pitchers, I mean, yeah, you just kind of let them throw as much as they can. Um, Norris and Boyd should be able to shoulder that load if they're pitching well enough. Uh, Fulmer has already kind of reached that point, and so that's fine. Uh, I don't necessarily think you take the gloves or you, you know, handle anyone really with kid gloves. Um, so, you know, let them loose.
0: Yeah, it seems like if you're, you know, if a guy's pitching well, it's late in the season and he's coming up, on, you don't want a hard limit there. You know, when someone's going good and their muscle memory is is kind of where you want it to be, you want them to keep pitching as long as they're all right. So really, it just seems to come down to, you know, like the relationship, you know, Ron Gardenhire and Chris Bozzio can build, you know, with the pitching staff. Um, there's got to be trust and communication there. You know, we we kind of Saw you know a few comments today about Mikey Matuk, you know having an, a late season injury that he didn't he didn't bring up, um, and the Tigers not really knowing quite how severe, you know um, Miguel Cabrera's back condition was at, at various points, um, and, and that's you know that's that's really only something that can be addressed by, you know getting that kind of communication between the player and the coaching staff. So you know as long as as long as Gardenhire and Baezio are successful doing that and they feel comfortable, you know letting Fulmer go 200 or what have you. I'll be perfectly happy to see a couple of these guys throw 175 innings. Yeah, that, I mean, that, if they get up if they get
1: up that high, I mean, I think that's a good sign for the Tigers in that they're pitching well. They're staying healthy. Um, and so I think you let them go. There's also something that kind of building up some of that stamina over a full season to be able to shoulder that load you know 175 180 innings is kind of the precursor to getting up to that that 200 inning mark you don't want a guy shutting down at 160 and then going up to 200 immediately the next year and so i don't think there's any any real harm you know as as long as you're paying attention to everyone of course um there's no real harm in letting them go past that 175 mark
0: yeah, yeah, I don't think there's any reason to have a hard, hard kind of cap either. Um, Paul Sebastian Oz um, at p underscore Sebastian underscore Oz with two Z's <laughs> asks, um, "Who are the five, you know, the five guys most likely to make their MLB debuts as Tigers this year?" Which is kind of a kind of a fraught question. Um, he he actually already mentioned kind of some of the big ones like Brian Garcia, Gerber, and Stewart. Um, I wanted to ask you that question just because I know you were you were kind of bringing up the fact that maybe Lugo uh, might actually kind of get a look this year.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think he'd be one to get a little bit of a look this year. Um, you know, Obviously, the Tigers are a little bit thin in the infield, and I think that if he hits well in AAA, they'll probably bring him up at some point, even just to let him get his feet wet, or especially if Jose Iglesias is traded. I mean, there's not much harm in, like, let's say Iglesias gets traded at the July deadline. There's not much harm, you know, if Lugo's hitting well, to bring him up for August and September and let him hit a little bit and see see how it goes. Um, and so I think he'd be one, obviously Garcia, um, and uh, probably a host of other bullpen arms will be coming up too. uh, we could see Mark Ecker. I know there's another one that a couple of people in our site have been, uh, relatively high on over the last few years. Um, Uh, I'm trying to think of any other relievers because a lot of them made their debuts last year in like Labort and some of those guys that you didn't really expect. And um, And quite a few few come through.
0: Yeah. And a few minor league signings like Kevin Comer, Mark, Mark Montgomery. I'm not sure if those guys pitched in the majors yet. um, Honestly. So you never know, you know, we're not expecting a whole lot out of those guys, but Mm -hmm. possibly one of them. But when you see like Labort and um, you know, and, and Jimenez and some of these guys move all the way from the Florida state league, um and make make their major league debut debut last year. It's really hard to guess. I mean, you can go all the way down to to a ball last year, and you never know. If someone might uh, might just take off. You know, if somebody's command like Eduardo Jimenez or you know Gerson Moreno figures it yeah, out. Yeah, I was going to
1: say Moreno could be one that could make his a debut this year. So yeah, we'll, we'll see.
0: Yeah, we'll have to see. You know, there's a, some of the college starters too. I think you know you could see Turnbull or maybe Tyler Alexander if they're going well. But in general, um, the big prospects you're probably still not going to see till next year at the at the earliest. Um, the last one was from Field Diamond, and this question is just evil at this point, but how many wins for the Tigers this year? Um, just give me your best, your best guess at it right now.
1: What did they win last year, 64?
0: Yeah, I think it was. I 64. mean, I
1: think this team is going to be better. I think just by like pure dumb luck, they'll be better, because they were fairly unlucky last year, both in terms of injuries as well as in terms of like, their Pythagorean win expectancy. I mean, they were about like six or seven wins shy of what they should have been. And so... I mean, between that, some of the you know kind of development, maybe the bullpen being a little bit better, I could see them sneaking up closer to seventy.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm going I think I said sixty-nine when Ashley and I talked the other night, and I, I'll just take that nice number. And stick with that, because I still think, I, I agree the Tigers will probably um, look better than some are expecting in the first half, but I still think there's a chance, like, some of these guys could get traded, and you never know if, um, you know, maybe somebody finally just kind of ponies up and comes after Michael Fulmer really really hard at the deadline. Um, that might be something that kind of kind of undercuts, you know, what, what in win review, total. I'm going to revise mine a little bit. I'm going
1: to say, like, 74, because I think they're going to come out of the gate relatively hot. People are going to be all about Ron Gardenhire as the manager and, like, the great white hope. Um, yep. and helping this team kind of improve a little bit and then they're going to fall off after that. So they will be the kind of like the team that comes out, like they'll be leading the AL central at the end of April. Um, and then fall off after that. People were like, cause like, remember it what was it the white Sox last year, a couple years ago where they were like leading the central leading in getting into May and then fell apart after that. Yeah, that's kind of what I think the Tigers are going to do that this year.
0: Yeah, and they've kind of had a history. Um, You know, there's a lot of new faces and stuff, but it seems like every year under Brad Ausmus' tenure as well, like they got out to a pretty nice start, at least the first few weeks, um, and then just kind of yeah, kind of just fell apart from there. Um, Anybody who wants to know what you know what happened to the Tigers last year, I mean, you really just look at May. Um, I think Nick Castellanos had a 34 wRC plus in that in that month, um, despite hitting the crap out of the ball. um, You know, and then you had the K Rod stuff. Um,
1: and that was the month. That was the month that we had pointed out. You know, going back to whenever the schedule came out in 2016, I mean, they had, I want to say like 28 or 29 games in 31 days, and like eight of them were at home. Yeah. And so we circled that like right away and said like, this is going to be a problem month. And at the end of it, you know, I actually was relatively optimistic. You know, I thought that they had gotten through it for the most part and they kind of kept their heads above water. Um, I think they had one series down in Houston. Yeah. Uh, coming out of that. And then, like in June, it all fell apart. They went on that road trip and just stunk up the joint. Yeah. West, um, yeah they were bad yeah, at home, too. And so I think June, more than anything, is what killed them. That should have been when they had kind of taken a step forward and, you know, gotten back above 500 and into contention, and they just fell flat.
0: Yeah there was just it just felt like there was just some bad juju going on there you know <laughs> there was there was some contention in the clubhouse or something and yeah and just some guys you know just just struggled that month for whatever reason and um, they, they could never pick it up i know ian kinsler just tanked that month um, Verlander was struggling, um, walking people left and right, and um, yeah, they just never turned it around. I think that the season kind of ended on that West Coast trip where they finished up against the Padres and and got swept, I believe, and and lost just about all three of those games in the late innings. Like had the really really kind of felt like where they lost it. Yeah, yep, it was ugly then. So. All right, um, that's enough questions for the week. We're going to wrap it up, and we will be back um, next Tuesday with another episode. And I want to thank everybody for, for joining us tonight. And check out, check us out on Bless You Boys. There's a lot of new coverage coming up. We've um, we've got a lot of stuff on the prospect list that have been released over the past week. Um, we'll keep talking about that. We'll have our own, our own coming. And I've also um, I've got that interview with Matt Manning that I'll be transcribing hopefully tonight. And I will have that up on the site for you guys tomorrow. So, Rob, thanks for joining me. Have a good night. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem, man. Have a good night.